Hey, today we're going to be hanging out in the book of John, chapter 1. And so I encourage you to flip there in your Bibles, or if you have a smartphone, to go there. Um, there will be a lot of other supplementary uh, texts and scriptures on the screen, uh, but you'll want to be hanging out in John 1. Preface. All throughout the Jewish scriptures... There's foretellings and prophecies and foreshadowings of a coming Messiah who would redeem humankind from the curse of sin, disease, decay, death, who would liberate us, bring us the fullness of God, make us, bring us back into right standing with God. And in Genesis, um, right off the bat, there's a sacrifice that happens when Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden They're made aware of their shame. They're made aware of their own nakedness. And to be properly covered, there has to be the death of an animal that occurs uh, for skins for them to be worn. Later in Genesis, um, a promise is given to Abraham. And it's that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so this idea of the Messiah coming through Abraham's seed. Abraham gives birth to Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob gives birth to, well, his wife, gives birth to 12 tribes, 12 kids. And one of those kids' names is Judah. And when he goes through his blessing on his children, blessing his children in different ways, when he gets to Judah, he says, the rod will not depart from Judah, the tribe of Judah, until it comes into the hand of the one to whom it belongs, who will rule the world forever and whose peace will never end. From the tribe of Judah, later on, born into the tribe of Judah, is King David. And there's prophecies then about David, that it will come through the line of David. And so, we see throughout Scripture, throughout the history, throughout the prophets, the foretellings and the foreshadowings of Christ's coming. And um, in Isaiah, uh, chapter 53, a very memorable one, speaks of a Messiah who's led like a sheep to the slaughter pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so that we could be made whole, whipped so that we could be healed. The Lord laying on him the iniquity of us all, the sins of us all. It's written 700 B.C., uh, Isaiah. So, um, and, and there's a few of them. Uh, there was Abraham when he was supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, which is the hill on which Christ was crucified. Jerusalem is uh, that's all Mount Moriah, that area right there. And he was crucified on Calvary. So uh, lots of prophecies. Um, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem. This again written 700, 750 B.C. Ephrata are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Interesting phraseology whose origins are in the distant past. Someone's coming. Someone's going to be born who has existed from everlasting, from the distant past. So, um, fast forward. Uh, So the eyes of all the Jewish communities and all the Gentiles, people worldwide, were looking for a promised Messiah who would redeem man And it is at this time, fast forward to 30 AD, when John the Baptist, 
John 1, 15, John testified about him, Jesus, when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. John speaking. There's lots of prophecies about Jesus coming as the Messiah throughout the Old Testament. There's also prophecies about John the Baptist coming. And that's found, or some of those are found, one of them's found, Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah is speaking to the people, and he is speaking, um, he is speaking, uh, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to back up and go, Isaiah 9, and it says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. What is Isaiah talking about here? The Assyrian Empire just conquered Israel in 722 B.C. And so, we're going to look at a map here quickly. This map shows 12 tribes of Israel. That promise given to Abraham, Jacob's 12 sons. Um, they were captive in, in, in Egypt for many years, and Moses led them out of Egypt. If this is all new to you, just follow with me. Moses, the prophet, brings all the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, out of captivity, out of the land of Egypt. They go through the Sinai Peninsula, through the desert. They come to this area, current-day Israel, and they settle there. And they, they settle according to the tribes. And so they've kind of remained and, and kept uh, knowledge of and stayed within these 12 tribes after years and years have gone by. And so that's how they settle, just like that. And Jesus, when he's born, here's Jerusalem, When Jesus is born, he's born in Bethlehem, right about here, 20 miles south of Jerusalem. You can see it from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. He's born in Bethlehem right there. And when he's born, uh, if you read the Gospels, uh, King Herod feels threatened. Uh, he, He has knowledge that, what, the Son of God or a new king is being born in Bethlehem? And so he gives orders to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. Great, great guy. And, um, and so Jesus and his family, they're warned by an angel to flee, and they go down here to Egypt. Egypt is right here, you see it? It's right there. And they hang out in Egypt for a few years until King Herod dies. And when they're given permission uh, by God to go back into Israel, they don't settle in Bethlehem, but they go all the way up to Nazareth, right here. Nazareth is right in here. Can you guys say that? Can you say that one? Zebulon, Naphtali. Okay, look at this verse right here. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. A light will shine. So that's all. That's um, 700 B.C. He's writing about that. The Assyrians had conquered Israel. Israel never had its own sovereignty again. Um, and didn't until 1948 in this land, in this area. They were ruled by other... They came back 
And, um, and there was a few years under the Maccabees where they revolted, uh, but the Roman Empire was dominating. And at this time, when we're reading, uh, with John the Baptist coming on the scene, they're all serving the Roman Empire. But here comes John 1, verse 6. You can look in your own Bibles. Verse 6, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That was Jesus Christ. All right, we're jumping back and forth. Let's jump back to Isaiah. Isaiah 40, listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So that was spoken of, the land, and someone coming to prepare the way for Christ. John the Baptist was from the tribe of Levi. That's another one of the tribes. He was from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was in charge of all the priestly duties. They maintained the temple. They taught the people the ways of God, the other 12 tribes. They had um, places. They didn't have a territory to themselves, but they had within each territory a place where they would teach the people God's ways and remind them of the laws of Moses and teach them of the Genesis account. And of all, everything up to that point. And so, John was born to the priestly tribe, but he did not work in a temple. He went out to the wilderness. He was a rugged guy, uh, wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey. And he began preaching to the people, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And people were going out to him by the thousands, flocking out to hear this wild man who was telling people to repent of their sins for the kingdom of heaven was near. And the Jewish leaders sent out priests and temple assistants to inquire, who is this guy? Is this the Messiah that's to come? Is this Elijah? Elijah, you know, they had remembered from their history that Elijah had been taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, that he hadn't died on earth. Was he back again? Well, something wasn't, he had similar characteristics. Kind of a wild guy. Is this a prophet that was foretold of by Moses? And John said, no. He said, no. He said, uh, they said, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. How was John preparing the way at that time? He was sent by God at that specific time in, specific time in history to do a specific work, and that was to clear the way for Christ. Yeah. He's out here in the wilderness, and people are flocking to him from all of Judea and the Galilee and the Jordan River Valley, flocking to him, and his message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Heaven was very near. Jesus was born already. And he was uh, about to come onto the scene. John was preparing minds and hearts to behold and to receive the Messiah. 
So he was calling on people to think rightly and to acknowledge their sin problem. Sin is the problem in the world. Terrorism is just a result. Diseases, just a byproduct. Decay, turmoil, trials, everything that we experience. Tornadoes, catastrophic events, just all the results stemming back to sin. Sin is the one thing, the one reason, the origin of all disease, decay, and death in the world. Sin is. And at that time and at this time, that is a word our society resists. We talk about making mistakes. We talk about messing up. We try to minimize personal responsibility or um, is an accident or it's justified because I grew up in this environment or so-and-so did this to me or said that to me or treated me in this manner or I was abused in whatever scenario. And so sin, there's no such thing as sin. We just need to try to make better decisions. We don't address sin problems anymore. There's no moral absolutes in our culture. It's just mistakes or, or something may be wrong that we point fingers at other people and stuff. But sin, he came. And John. how did John prepare the way for the Messiah? He wanted people to acknowledge their sin. He wanted people to stop ignoring it and justifying it. And he wanted them to say, I am a sinner. I've sinned against God. I have missed God's holy standard, his mark. Sin ushered in all disease, decay, and death in the Garden of Eden, and every sin since then has only added to the demise, the dissension, the disunity, the discord of the world. Sin is it. That's it. There is nothing else. It is only sin. Sin is the one thing that has brought all of that into the world. Sin. Sin. And it's never the focus, ever, right, for our society. And the church might speak of it, and then people are just, oh, they're trying to condemn us. We are condemned, friends. And rather than deny it, John's saying, admit it. Admit. For crying out loud, admit you were wrong. I have six kids. Do you know how hard it is for them to take ownership of their sin when they've wronged their brother or sister? Well, she said, blah, blah, and she, he took my scissors. and It is never their fault, right? Taking ownership is so difficult for us to say, I am a sinner. And that's the one thing that every person has to do at some point in their life. If they're ever going to receive and recognize the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. And John was saying the kingdom of heaven is so near. It is right here. And you have to recognize that you're a sinner. You have to admit you have a sin problem if you're going to be in position, if you're going to have the right heart position to receive the graces and mercies of God. He's sending a Savior as he said he would do. 
He said it over and over again. And there's so much foreshadowing throughout the Old Testament. We could speak for weeks and weeks and weeks of it. And all the world knew and all the world was looking. And here comes the light of life into the world. The word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And in order to receive him, we're going to have to recognize our problem. And then the gift is appreciated. And it can do what it's supposed to do. Long story short, Jordan comes. Or Jordan. Jordan doesn't come. Jesus comes to John the Baptist. And everyone's coming to John. He's telling them to repent of their sin. And he's baptizing them. And symbolically, that's a showing that they are sorry for their sins. And they want to live rightly. Or they want to know... Uh, they need God's mercy. They need God's grace. And so they're doing that. Jesus comes and says, baptize me. And John says, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let's, let's do it this way uh, so, that every, so that God's will will be fulfilled, so that everything will be fulfilled. John baptizes him. And when he comes out of the water, what does God say from heaven? He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, This guy has no sin to repent of. Everybody's being baptized for their sin? God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, here's the savior of mankind, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. That's the day Jesus went public. That's the day God went public with Jesus Christ on earth. And John saw the Spirit of God like a dove come down on Jesus. And he points to Jesus, and he tells all his people, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he points at him. That's where we pick it up in verse 35 in John. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Who are you pointing to? What are you pointing at? Your life, when people look at you. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And, and when people look at you, what do they see? And where, are they, where is their mind taken to? In what direction is their heart pointed In watching you, do they meet Jesus? Do they grow deeper in their faith, stronger in their faith? John pointed to Christ, and his two disciples left him to go follow Christ. And that that made John happy. He said, he must increase, and I must decrease. I am not worthy to untie the, the straps of his sandals. I came baptizing with water, but he who is coming after me will baptize with fire. And the Holy Spirit. And so John was telling people, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, what are we pointing at with our words, with our actions? Uh, here, look, look at this. Words without actions promotes hypocrisy. Faith without works is dead. And people see and hear the words, and then they see compromising actions, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And they, it leaves a bad taste of Christianity in people's mouths. And they fail to see the Christ, the Jesus that came, that God sent to earth, 
They stumble over all these Christians and they miss the gospel message, message that Jesus has come to forgive all of our sins, to pay all of our debt, to give us life eternal. Actions without words promotes self-righteousness. We can act, um, we can do a lot of great things, but if we fail to ever speak of or point people towards the Christ, it's just chalked up as, he's a nice person, he's a good, she's a good lady, or they're a goody two-shoes, it could go that way too. Oh, they're legalistic. And so there needs to be words in some manner, and of course the actions to back it, to point towards Christ. Lord, help us, Lord, we need your help. We need your help, Lord. Thank you for your mercies every day. We need them every day. We mess up every day. Make us more like you, Lord, and help us be like John. Help us point people toward you. Oh, Lord, help us to give people a clear picture. Use us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Praise you. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. So they ask him, um, or Jesus sees him, and he says, what do you want, or, or what do you seek? And do you not think that he knew? And do you not think that God knew when he, when he asked Adam in the Garden of Eden and Eve, Adam, where are you after Adam had sinned? Or after Cain had killed his brother Abel, and he says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? God will ask people questions. And God asks us questions that he knows the answer to because he's looking, trying to help us discover the motives of our own heart and helping us to discern what is it that we're asking. He knew what they were really meaning. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's supposed to come? Are you the one, the Redeemer, all the prophecy? Are you the... He knew that. So he's given them a question, giving them a chance to be honest and to discern what it is they're looking for. And um, so Jesus asks us questions, and he invites us in. Not, he, he asks them the question, and then he says, come and see. Come and see. They say, where are you staying? They kind of change the subject. Well, we want to go with you. We want to see you. We, we're following you. We... we uh, we respect you. We want to know you better. He says, come and see. And that's what Jesus does to everybody. That gives him an opportunity. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Philip was from... Oh, I'm skipping some verses here, aren't I? All right, verse 43, the next day. 42, I'm sorry. Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, and is translated stone. Stone. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And uh, let's look at that real quick. Um, Philip was from Bethsaida. 
John the Baptist was baptizing people right here. Along, this is the Jordan River. A lot of people think it was right down in here. And uh, Nazareth is right here, where Jesus was from. This is Zebulon. Naphtali is right up here. The Sea of Galilee. This is the whole Galilean region right here. This whole area is considered the Galilean region. And Bethsaida is right there. So who's all from Bethsaida? Andrew is. Peter, Simon Peter is. Philip is from there. All these disciples, Jesus, some of the Jesus, they're all from this little town, Bethsaida. At least three of them are, maybe more. And actually, we have a picture of the Bethsaida boys. Here they are. <laughs> That's Andrew right there. He went and got his brother Simon. Peter went to go get Nathaniel. Right here. How cool, though, that God picks these guys. Or they, they start following him. He says, come and see. He, go, he tells Philip, follow me. And just these rugrats, they were fishermen up near the Sea of Galilee. They become followers of Christ. They get to know Jesus. They believe in Jesus. God puts his power in them, the Holy Spirit in them. And now 40% of the world calls themselves Christian. Three billion people. And uh, Philip went to look, verse 45. He went to look. For Nathaniel, and he told them, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. He went to his buddy Nathaniel and said, Hey, we found the guy Moses and the prophets wrote about. Did you guys know that Moses wrote about Jesus? And not in some abstract way, in a very specific way. Let's look at this. Deuteronomy 18, just so you guys understand. When he goes to Nathaniel, he says, We found the one Moses talked about. See, the Jews were looking, they were waiting. Their eyes were open. The whole world was looking and waiting. And uh, Moses, when Moses is leading the people out of Egypt towards the promised land, they are at Mount Sinai. And God himself addresses, begins to address the people. And there is lightning and thunder and smoke on top of Mount Sinai, uh, exemplifying some of his power. And there's burning fire on the mountain. And as he speaks to the people, the people are just terrified. They're unable to even comprehend anything God says because of sheer recognition of his holiness and their smallness. And they say to Moses, verse 15, we'll pick it up. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. They said, we can't, they said, Moses, you talk to God for us. You talk to God and you tell us what he says. We can't, we can't be in this presence. We don't, we're not going to, we can't handle it. We'll die. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this blazing fire for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I commanded him. Everything I command him. There is a prophecy, and these people were waiting and looking for who is this person. 
that is going to speak the very words of God to us in human form. He's going to be a prophet. It's going to be the very words. It's going to be God himself speaking, but he's going to be speaking through a human, through a prophet on earth. There have been tons of prophets since the time of Moses, but none of them had fit this bill, and none of them believed that that was who that was. And so Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, We found the one Moses was talking about. God put his words in his mouth. The word of God become flesh dwelling among us. The same mission, the same purpose, the same heart of God was in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say about himself? John 12, 49. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Imagine we wanted to communicate with some ants. And there's an anthill here. And I start yelling at the anthills. Guys, I need you to move over three feet. There's going to be a stream of water coming through here, and you need to move over three feet to be safe. I don't know if ants have ears. I don't even know how they comprehend things. But I would, I would think they would just be intimidated by me up here. And if I'm yelling, and if they can hear, they're probably scurrying around. Oh, no, this is a monster. But if I was to somehow allow myself, at least my character and my mission and who I am, to come into the ant world and interact with them as an ant. Then they could relate to me on a different level and comprehend my character and my intentions. Not just be in awe of my holiness or my bigness or my judgment, but they can see the heart of God and be drawn to me, the light of the light of the world, reflecting who God is. Picture of God. So, um, Philip ran to get Simon, uh, to get Nathaniel. Andrew ran to get Peter. Who are you introducing to Jesus today? Verse 46. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And um, Nathaniel actually grew up uh, four miles from Nazareth in the town of Cana. So not far, maybe they were rival cities, but probably more specifically, um, Nazareth was home to the Roman garrison. And so that was a Roman camp right there, and they hated the Romans who ruled over them, it was in Nazareth as well. So maybe that was part of it. Uh, maybe it was something else. Uh, Philip responds to Nathaniel, come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip said. And that's a good response. Um, said, taste and see. Come see this guy. Come hear him. Come see Jesus. Check him out for, you, for yourself. Check him out for yourself. It's not a place. It's not promoting a place. It's not a church that we're trying to draw people to. It's not a program. There's lots of great churches. There's lots of great programs. It's not a program. It's not a pill. That's not the solution. It's not the answer. But it's a person. It's a person. Who are you bringing to Jesus? You might not know what a person needs to hear or where they're at or what their background is. Jesus knows. You might not be able to help that person. In fact, you 
probably can't do very much to help very many people. We can't control people, obviously. If we can lead them to Jesus, Jesus can impact their life a thousand times greater than any one of us ever could by the power of his spirit. Um, Because Jesus knows. Jesus is the Savior. And Jesus knows me. When Simon is brought to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. Jesus knew this guy. Jesus knew that Cephas, that Peter, would deny him three times. Jesus knew these things. Jesus knew Nathaniel. When Nathaniel is brought to Jesus, he says, Now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. When he pointed at Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, How do you know about me? How do you know? Nathaniel was a great guy. He was not he wasn't a perfect guy, but he was honest about his sin. He was honest and he was truthful. And Jesus said, Here's here is a genuine son of Israel. Not a Pharisee, not just a religious leader. Here's a genuine son of Israel. He has the correct heart position to receive grace and mercy. How do you know about me? Oh, Jesus knows about you. Jesus knows about you. Jesus knows everything. He knows every fear, every failure, every disappointment, every sin, things that we're so stinking ashamed of. He knows all those things. He knows our prides, the things we take pride in. He knows our self-righteousness. He knows our self-reliance. He knows everything. God knows everything. And then he says, follow me. Come and see. Come and see. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. God knows us. Jesus knew Nathaniel's state and his thoughts. I saw you under the fig tree. He knew what was going on in his mind, whatever that was at that time. And however, whatever that looks like, it was, it, it was important because Nathaniel reacts in such a way. Verse 49, then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? In other words, you believe because you saw I am, that I am omniscient, that I'm everywhere and that I'm all-knowing. I remember he addresses Thomas. Thomas, you believe because you've seen. You've seen me in person or you put your fingers in my, my hands and my sides after Jesus had risen from the dead. So you put a lot of weight on your own eyeballs. A lot of us, we put a lot of weight on our own intellect. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. And it's a recognition of God's Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's spiritually discerned. And guess what? Jesus' sheep know his voice. And they follow him. Do not harden your heart against Jesus Christ. He is your best friend. Whether or not you're a part of this church ever again, don't harden your heart to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your best friend. He came to lay down his life for you. And there is power in the name of Jesus. 
power in the name of Jesus Christ and what he did. Jesus connects us to the heavenly kingdom. He ends with this in speaking to Nathaniel. He says, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see the heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. For you Bible readers, it was in Genesis that Jacob, after running for his life, collapses out in the wilderness. He sleeps on a, a rock for a pillow. You know, he was worn out. And he sees a vision of a ladder going up to heaven or a stairwell, if you will, and angels of God ascending and descending. And when he awakes in the morning, he built an altar there and calls it Bethel, house of God. Where heaven, the powers of heaven and God, connect with humanity. Where the love and greatness and purity and holiness and greatness of God connects with the sinfulness and the decay and the disease and the death of this world. A staircase there, a ladder for will. And Jesus told Nathaniel, says, I'm the ladder. I'm the stairwell. I bring God's power down to you, and I'm the way, the, the gate by which you enter heaven. I'm the way. There's a way. Guys, there's so many cool prophecies. We just look like at a few of them today. And it's my hope and prayer and belief that it helps strengthen your faith in who Jesus is and what he's doing. And it just boosts you. It's like a, a vitamin in the morning you take. And getting in the word of God like this and doing it with one another often is going to help us be strong and help our roots go down deep so we're not tossed to and fro like a ship out at sea. So praise God. Let's continue to grow in the scriptures together as friends and and praying for one another, meeting together. God, thank you for today. Praise you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for prophesying about John the Baptist and then sending him. Thank you for prophesying about your son, the Savior, and then sending him. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that's even here in this room, Lord, to speak. Uh, Yes, speak to our intellect, sure. Yes, speak to our emotions and our feelings, sure. But to speak to our heart, Lord, the soul of mankind that you designed and created for yourself. Lord, we respond to you, Lord, for those in this room, Lord, that have resisted you or have had so, much, so many doubts, or have so many questions, Lord. I pray that you would meet them where they're at, Lord, as you did with Peter and Nathaniel. Come, follow me. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Lord, I pray for the health of this church, Lord. We live in 2019. We don't know what the days and seasons will be like in the years to come. But you do. You know it all. We entrust ourselves to you, Lord. Make us strong for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.